Hey bosses, this week's episode is sponsored by the all-new FreshBooks. Find out more about them later in the show or check out freshbooks.com slash travel. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 178 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. Today I'm with Michael Co, the founder of Tree to Tub. Welcome to the show, buddy. Hey Johnny, what's up? So I'm excited that I saw you on QVC <laughs> selling your <laughs> new product. This is amazing because the last time I saw you, well, the first time we actually met was in Chiang Mai. Right. I was uh, buying uh, your scooter from a Facebook page, like a digital nomad Facebook page. And before that, we had never met. We had never spoken. And nope. <laughs> the very next time I think I spoke to you was when I saw you, like I messaged you congratulations because I saw you on QVC. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's just so funny like how we met. It's so random. And yeah, I'm so glad to be here. I think that kind of just shows, first off, kind of how small this community is, but also how important it is, you know, when you, like, you never know who you meet, where you're going to meet them, and, like, what they're going to be up to. Definitely, definitely. There's so many times they're just great surprises that you see this person, and um, when you're, especially when you're traveling, you know, they're kind of just look like nobody, and you're you're curious and you you start a conversation and you sort of realize oh wow this is this person has so many cool stories no matter it's like their business adventures or whatever life endeavors they're in they're just you can just never really judge a book by its cover yeah definitely I definitely want to hear more about like your business travels but I'm actually very curious like how was that bike <laughs> it was pretty good it was pretty good uh, I definitely like you know supported my time when I was in Chiang Mai and. Uh, then a couple months after that, I moved to Koh Phangan, mm-hmm. okay. uh, this beautiful island in Thailand. Uh, so before I left, I, I sold it off to this Australian guy. So yeah, uh, it's being passed on. Okay, cool. <laughs> Do you remember how much you sold it for? Uh, I think I sold it for like 14K or something. Okay, cool. So you, you got to drive a few, for a few months. And if anything, it ended up costing you less than if you just rented one. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. it's it's It just saves you so much money. Just owning asset and then reselling at the end is just like uh, uh, for used goods. There's almost like very little depreciation. Yeah, and if anything, I bet you if you, I mean, it sounded like you're you're kind of in a rush to leave, but in general, you can you can <laughs> often sell it for the same price you bought it for. Definitely, definitely, because I, I I made such a big mistake because I I was in a rush and I I didn't post on the the selling groups till maybe like a couple of days before I left. So I had to schedule like five people like, you know, on the same day. And also there's some like green book issues. Like you have to, to like actually the, the, the person having, having a green book is not enough. You have to like register it. Otherwise the other person can't register for it. Um, so a lot of people kind of got turned, uh, turned away because of that. So, you know, I've, I've heard, I've heard that before. I've also heard that as long as you have the, a copy of the ID of the original owner, that it's okay. But what I always tell people, I'm right. like, you know, for, 
for something that cost you, I think it was like in Thai baht. I mean, in US dollars, it's probably like four hundred dollars or something. Like right. it's not, it's like not worth your time to like go through all this bureaucracy totally. and paperwork, and then try to make. I totally agree. You know, because I think if it was registered under your name, maybe you could have got an extra thousand, you know, a couple thousand baht for it, which is like a hundred bucks, right? But is it really right. worth your time going down to the DMV, spending three hours there, you know? Like getting a translator. Exactly. Put this in my name, please. To, you know, to try to save a couple. You know, like less than a hundred bucks. Exactly. And and I think it's. I just love the concept that uh, how you value your time. Um, your time is just so much more valuable than like sitting in DMV and saving that like you know fifty hundred bucks. But at the same time, I think it also has to do with where you are at with your financial situation. And I say like maybe like you know a couple of years ago I would totally be down to just go to the DMV and save that hundred dollars. But so I think it really depends on where you're at. But once I think the important thing is like to remember that uh, once you are kind of off that financial crunch, it's important to remember that you know just the value of your time is constantly growing. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I actually think that. Because I used to live really, really cheap, and I used, just to save like not even a you know not even fifty <laughs> bucks to save like you know five bucks, fi- yeah, or even like fifty cents. I would go out of my way, right. and I would spend so much totally. time. And I feel like a lot of it's the kind of like the mentality. The only reason why people even started like worrying about if the because because I lived in Thailand for ten years, and I remember for right. the first like. Eight years, nobody cared if the bike was under your name because you knew that you were going to use it, you know, for a few months or a year, and then you would sell it to the next foreigner who also wasn't going to register right. under their name. And if anything, it right. would have been more of a pain for everyone if every foreigner that used it for three months is asking for it, right? And like then the, the the then the price of the bike would have been more. So instead of you you know you selling to the guy for four hundred bucks, you would have wanted you know five hundred for it for you know for their for your time right. and because you paid more, right? So it actually ends right. up hurting everyone, especially people on a budget. For sure, for sure. But, I totally agree yeah. with you. But the the what? So the one, the only reason I wanted to even bring this up is the other thing we want to learn from this is I, like I don't think I even told you, but before I sold you the bike, I actually spent a bunch of money fixing it. Like I put uh, new, sh- like right. even though, I, yeah, even though I could have just sold it as is, and I'm pretty sure you right. wouldn't even have noticed. But I knew right. that like the brakes were like slow, you know, starting to wear out. I wanted to get an oil change, and I even replaced the right. back, sh- back shocks, which is something that... Oh, really? Wow. I, yeah, like, I we, had no I, idea. Yeah, I don't know if you remember them, but they were like bright red. <laughs> and the original ones, right. you know, especially when they get older, they, they like are just, you know, black because of the oil and dust. Right, right. I remember that. That's... Oh, wow. That's how it is. Wow. Hey, yeah. that's super awesome, man. That's like... Uh, so, such props to you. That's awesome. Well, the, so the reason why I wanted to bring that up for everyone was because, like, who knows? <laughs> I mean, I could have just sold you the bike as is, you know? And, you know, chances totally. are you wouldn't have noticed. You wouldn't have complained. Like, wouldn't have been a big deal. But if it, if right. it had broken a month later, you would have been like, fuck, right. you know, fuck that guy who sold me this bike. Yeah, fuck this guy. And then we'll never, like, be talking now. Yeah. Like, you know, building this relationship. Exactly. So, you know... Two That's years so later, cool. we would not be on this on this call. Wow, that this is so funny. This this is awesome, man. Like, yeah, this is. I think that's just such a good example of just not you like living like just life. Just really shouldn't be about just yourself and the short term gains. It's like at the end, it's really like you know 
this I really like the concept of karma and I think it just this is just such a great example of that. Yeah, and you know, I actually forgot that I had sold you the bike be- until <laughs> I opened up my Facebook message because I think so so here's how it all all happened is I saw your post on Facebook. Right. And right. I was like, oh, I recognize this guy's like name or face, but I don't, like, where is he? Yeah, yeah I don't remember how, <laughs> how I met I you him? or yeah, any right, of that. Right. And it wasn't until right. I messaged you that I saw the old the last message, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> right, right. So yeah, it's funny. I remember yeah. like that day, I because I had been uh, hunting for a bike for a couple of weeks, and I saw your post on the Facebook group and I was like, oh my God, let me just jump on this. I messaged you like right away and I saw we had a mutual friend, Mike, uh, Mike Galvin. Mm-hmm. And I just, I called him up. I was like, yo, hey, talk to this Johnny guy for me. Like, you know, just like, just drop a message say like, you know, your buddy wants this bike. And yeah, I remember the whole experience. It was, it was really awesome. Yeah, so like unintentionally, this episode ended up being like a great lesson on networking. <laughs> Right, right, definitely. I totally agree. All right, so you were in Chiang Mai. Where are you now? Uh, I'm in Koh Phangan, this beautiful beach. Uh, it's known for the full moon party, but that's just for the outsiders. Uh, it's really, it's just really a beautiful island out, like when you are away from the full moon party area. Have you been into yeah, Koh Phangan? Yeah, so I've been there many times for both the full moon party, but also what you're talking about, the the quiet you know, beaches. and Right, right, right. I, li- I, I personally, I like it a lot. How long have you been there now? Uh, so far, about four months. Oh, nice. So it's, it's an actual like home base now for you. Yeah, yeah. Till next week, I'll, I'll be. So I'm actually moving now uh, next week to Taiwan. Okay. That's actually where I where I was born and grew up. So yeah, I'm going to move there um, for the short term for maybe three four months and see see what's up. See if my girlfriend and I like the place uh, to live. Okay. When did you leave Taiwan and like have you been back much? Yeah. So I usually go back every year, uh, especially uh, now our business we manufacture in Taiwan, so it gives us a very good business reason to go back and also just to visit my parents they still live in taiwan very cool so did you know that i'm actually taiwanese well baba model no Taiwanida. no <laughs> so my parents no are way. taiwanese my sister was born in taiwan and she left when she Wait. was one johnny jen yeah what's your last so Jen, so my last name in Chinese is Jing, which is like the Kjing the Jing, which Jing. is like gold, like twenty four oh, karat gold. Oh wow! Okay, way to like make money. <laughs> you know, nice, maybe awesome. maybe it's been in my blood. I mean, who knows? Nice. I mean, that's not a bad uh, bad start. <laughs> well, so yeah, wow, that's crazy. So my name in Chinese, and I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast, is right. Jing Jishang. Jin Jixiang. Oh yeah, wow, which, that's what, such a <laughs> that's such a strong name. So can you can you um, translate that for for everyone? Yeah. So Jin, like you said, it's gold. It just symbolizes wealth. And actually, not many people have that last name. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And Jixiang is literally like, ooh, how do I Jixiang? It's like uh, it's like luck, but in not in like oh lucky I made. Like you know, a bunch of money on lottery—that type of luck. It's like this, like very subtle luck of uh, you are going to be smooth 
and your life is going to be smooth and have a lot of peace. So it's really a very subtle like luck concept in Chinese culture. So are you ready for the next layer of my name? There's more to it. <laughs> sure, right, let's go. So let's do it. My so my dad counted so you know in like the Chinese tradition, the number of brush strokes also determines how lucky a name is. And when he counted them up, it wasn't strong enough for him. So instead of using uh... the normal G, he changed it to G H the G, which is oh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a way more complicated character. Yeah, just with more, brush, like, which is like way more brushstrokes, which also is why it took me like five years to figure out how to like write my name in Chinese. Wow, that's funny. Wait, so you, you were born in in San, like San Francisco Bay Area? Is yep. that where you're born? Yeah, correct. Oh wow, damn, that's crazy. Because I mean, I'm I'm mean, I was born and raised in Taiwan, and then I moved to I moved to San Francisco. I I I did my college there. I went to UC Berkeley, and then I did a whole like startup stuff in san francisco and that's just crazy like there's so many like like similarities like between it that's crazy yeah so like it's one of those things i kind of never know where life takes you and who you meet and kind of do who for sure so i totally I, so I totally I'm, agree. I'm curious like how did you even get to Chiang Mai? like what was your your path as an entrepreneur as a digital nomad uh yeah so as an entrepreneur so I guess I'll briefly like give you like super short version of the whole story. So when I was in Berkeley, I just really wasn't into studying. Uh, I was very good at it. I would get all kinds of A's without putting the hard work, uh, mainly by just kind of quote unquote hacking it. And but it just wasn't really where I was passionate about. And while I was in college, I actually opened a food truck business. Uh, it's called Dojo Doc. Okay, it's nice. uh, this like it's really this like really cool uh, Japanese fusion hot dog food truck. Was it to compete and with that was, to compete with Top Dog? Top Dog, uh, in in a way, in a way, because I, I I actually the idea came from this one night we we you know being college students we got really drunk and we went to Top Dog. That's like the typical thing students do, and we got a bunch of Top Dogs. We went home and. We're like, oh crap, we forgot to put condiments on it. And we have these like just dogs and buns, but that didn't have any condiments. And you know how bad it can be. Mm -hmm. um, so we were just like, we're all a bunch of Asian people. We're like, you know, digging out like whatever condiments we had. And we pulled out this sriracha and like, you know, different, like just very Asian condiments. Started putting on the hot dogs and we just ate them. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. Well, partially probably had to do with uh, the green stuff we smoked that night. <laughs> but it was just like a crazy experience. And we're like, oh, wait. And in my head, I was like, okay, why, how come hot dogs have to be just ketchup and mayonnaise? You know, why can't we put Asian condiments on it? Uh, so I started experimenting. And after like, like long story short, just like after this like crazy amount of preparation that I got myself into, uh, I finally opened up my first business and this food truck. Uh, it's like, it was right in front of uh, the Berkeley campus. Yeah, it's actually still running and it's, I, I don't own it anymore. Uh, I actually sold it before I 
graduated. Okay, cool. So, so that was like how I started this like entrepreneur thing. <laughs> so you started this business while you're still in college. Right. I was a sophomore. And how much did that cost you to start up? Ooh, so uh, the, mo- the, the biggest cost to it was buying the truck itself. Okay. And uh, most people, they just go for like a used food truck, but they can get quite expensive. So what I did was that uh, I went to this like really janky, sketchy, like Mexican like shop. And, and it was in San Jose and like, they had these like used like, like abandoned trailers. And I was like, okay, I want one of those trailers and I want to put all kinds of kitchen equipment in it and make it a food truck. And we kind of drew some plans and I said, like, okay, cool, let's do it. And so I, instead of like uh, the normal, like $25,000 like cost for a used food truck, we got that trailer modified for like 15000 And so that was the majority of the cost. And and obviously, like as like a student, you don't have fifteen thousand dollars to dish around. Yeah. So how uh, did you so, pay for it? So this part is totally illegal. But what I did was I I pulled out student loans for it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I I pulled out a bunch of student loans. I was like, okay, yeah, this guy go into my study, but instead I spend it on like this food truck and the starting the business. You know what? I so I spent I I spent my student loans on something. I guess automobile related as well, <laughs> but wasn't a business. <laughs> I actually used my student loans to buy rims, and it was the stupidest oh. decision I've ever made in my life. <laughs> wow, that's funny. That's funny. So, but, well, hey, like you know, you, like I'm sure now you learned your lesson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it's one of those things where it's funny that you know two people can go on very similar paths, and what you know one person can use that and buy an asset that can you know that can create you more money and create give you the ex- business experience and someone right. else a much stupider person <laughs> can go out and buy a liability <laughs> which ends up costing me way more money because you know even things like every time i would oh, need man, new tires totally. you like instead of buying you know 15 inch new tires for a hundred dollars the tires would cost right. me like seven times that price so it was just like a, a vicious cycle you know not only was totally. I not making like, money from that investment, but I'm yeah. losing more money. It's kind of like dating a girlfriend that's toxic. You know, not instead of you first of all had to spend a bunch of money, take her out, and then uh, you like after you guys are together, it's like gets even worse. Like you have to buy this back and treat her this thing. It just gets worse and worse. Yeah, I guess it like it. Yeah, it really depends. Like if you if you date someone, you know, and I guess I guess it can be anything. You know, it's not just dating. Like let's say you have a, a friend or even a family member or business partner who, if they're a liability, they're always you know, taking you know and kind of costing you more money. Versus you know you can have someone in your life that's an asset and they're bringing more you know they're bringing more into your life. Totally, just bring more value, positive energy, and just. You know, even just helping you develop yourself and because you can look at yourself as an asset. And I think that's just something that it's just so, such a golden rule when people say invest in yourself. I think whatever you do, eventually that should comes down to investing in yourself and that making yourself a better person, uh, a smarter person and a stronger person. So eventually you can 
be so powerful that you're able to give back to the people around you and potentially the society, the world. I definitely agree. So was the food truck profitable during the time you were running it? Yeah, so it was a very, very rough experience, I say. Uh, so first of all, I started by myself. So I didn't have a partner. That was a big mistake. And so you imagine you are like a full-time student at UC Berkeley, one of the most competitive universities on earth, right? And you care a lot about your GPAs. You care about your grades. And you have this business running while you are at school. And you are the only person that's responsible for this thing. I had employees. I had like, you know, volunteers. I had all these people. But at the end, like all the stress all came down to myself. And that was just a crazy experience. You, I would be, I remember I would be in class and I would get this text message. Oh, hey, Michael, the kitchen caught on fire. What the fuck? I literally had to run out of the classroom. Everyone's like, what the hell is this guy doing? And I ran out of classroom, went went to the food truck and like, you know, put off the fire and help out. It's just that intense. So I say like overall on the profit profit side, we're able to generate maybe like three to 5k of profit a month. And which is very, very good for a starting business and for a food business. But it was just a very rough and stressful experience overall. Wow. Yeah, I can definitely see that, especially while trying to you know, juggle school, especially at like a top school like that. What, what did you end up selling the business for? Yeah, so I kind of sold the business just like how I sold the bike. <laughs> I sold it in a rush. And that was not the smartest uh, financial decision to make because uh, at that time I was... Like our street permit got revoked and we didn't have a place to, to, to sell at that moment. And it was just like this food truck sitting there. And at the same time, I was, I, I had the goal of going to go backpack and travel for a long period of time. So I just, okay, I had to get rid of this thing and, you know, in exchange, get some cash. So I sold it for roughly like 40 K. I remember with all the asset, the brand and the recipes, everything. Oh man. So if you had got, you know, taken the time to find another permit and, you know, park in another place and kind of prove the model and, and you would have sold a, you know, a oh, running business. Probably the, yeah. Oh, probably, yeah, double that. Yeah, easily. <laughs> all right. Well, I think these are all kind of like lessons learned from, you know, from, from business in general. You know, it's, it's the exact same thing as like when someone's selling a, an e-commerce store, like a dropshipping store, is everything when everything is going smoothly and well, you can sell it for twenty-seven times profit. But if you right. sell it during like a bad month, you know, let's say you had you know two, you know, one or two bad months in a row, then right. you're selling it for peanuts. And it's one of those things where I understand both sides. Where you know, when things aren't going well, we just want to get rid of it. And we just want to be like, okay, right. let's, I don't want to deal with it. But I think we have to re- right. really remember. To get the maximum value from anything, you have to sell it on, on a high. Exactly. And you just have to have patience. Uh, I think it's just, this is something my dad has always reminded me was, uh, he always t- told me, so like, Michael, it's, it's hard to start a business, but it's just as hard to sell a business. It's a, just as hard to get out of the business, like in a graceful, elegant way, because most people, 
there are tons of entrepreneurs that have that passion, that drive, that ability to create something. But a lot of them, they don't get that full financial return because they don't have that patience, or they they wouldn't they wasn't able to to you know get out in a very smart way. Like, and and I was like a very good example. Yeah, well, great lessons learned. I'm sure you learned a lot from running that business, and I'm I'm assuming it's helped you a lot now with your new business. Oh, totally, definitely. And so I think the first thing, the biggest lesson I learned from that business was, first of all, food business sucks. <laughs> I would never go into food business again, unless like you know I'm totally out of the management team because it's just such a crazy environment where everything can be just so stressful. And the second thing that really translated into uh, this business was having a really reliable partner. Uh, what I learned in my dojo dog, the food truck experience was that it's just so hard to take on all the stress by yourself. But when you have two people to split that with, to share that hardship and stress with, you know, that really made everything better. And that's what happened with our current business, tree to top Oh, nice. Okay. So how did that start? Like where, where were you when that, when you got the idea for that? Right. So when I was young, I said, so you're Taiwanese, but I'm, I'm not sure if you, you, you're aware of it. But, um, back then in Taiwan, they have, instead, of people, like my grandma, for example, like instead of using soap or, you know, chemical detergent, they used to use this thing called the soap berry. So it's a fruit that you pick from the tree and you just give it a rub. It starts laddering up. It sounds crazy. It's hard to imagine. And if you guys are interested, uh, go check out our website. We have this like video of how it works. And it's just amazing. Instead of using soap, you're using a berry to ladder and clean. It's like the most gentle thing and uh, the most natural to anyone. And yeah. I definitely encourage everyone to check out the website. It's tree2tub.com. And the video is cool. I'm like, it shows people. Like, you know, the, the process of people growing it and picking it and drying it. And actually, I'm actually surprised right. <laughs> that it lathers up. Like that, to me, that's the craziest part. It, 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 it's insane. It, it just, you know, I've told so many people about it and people always kind of, what are you talking about? Because they're so used to the concept of, okay, a bar soap or a pump bottle. And it just, that's the only thing that would lather and create bubbles. But this is actually being used for thousands of years. And my grandma used to use it. And she used to use it on me because I have really bad sense of skin. Growing up, I would just get all kinds of rashes or uh, redness from using chemical, like harsh chemical soaps. Uh, so that was like the only thing I could use. And she would go into the, the forest or like go to her neighbors that have these soapberry trees and just collect them and use it for me as soap. So and when I was in, yeah, I was gonna say I actually I've seen a video of like that. The first time I actually heard of the soap berry was I remember it was like five years ago or something, and it was like one of those like viral kind of Facebook posts that you see you know pop up somewhere. Uh, right. But then what was and I was like, oh wow, that's amazing, that's really cool. But then I thought, okay, well I don't know where to buy these berries, and then right. that, that was it. And it was like I never, I never saw it again. I never heard about it again, it, right. even though it was a cool concept. Right, right. And I think, and we were surprised too, because what happened one day, like going back to how we started, was I was in Spain at the time, 
and I was living on this island called Tenerife, which is a beautiful island. Is the next island over from me right now because I'm I'm on Gran Canary. All right. Oh man, you have to go check it out. It's such a beautiful island, uh, it, and the people are so awesome. It has this like beautiful volcano called uh, Tere. Just it's just a wonderful island with amazing, really raw beaches. Okay. Yeah, you have to check it out. Will do. Yeah. So I was living on this island, and I, I would go to the beach every day. I'll come home, and my start, my skin would just get very dry from the salt water. And at this like Airbnb I was at, it, they only had these just generic brands, uh, and I was just struggling with all these soaps that. That would just really hurt my skin, dry out my skin. I was like, oh, wait, how come people don't use the soap berry that I used to use uh, when I was young? Like, how come no one did anything about it? Like, this is such a gift from nature. Why are we not using it? And we are using all these chemical crap that we put on our body. Uh, so, yeah, I just started doing research. And we were, I was like, wait, this is the idea I'm going to go for. And that's how how we got started. That's cool. Because I'm actually a big fan of natural soaps as well. Like I, I can't stand, I mean, and not even with just like body soap, but even like when I get my laundry done and it comes back smelling. Oh, laundry. Yeah. And it's so ah, much like, totally. I'm, there's so many chemicals in it and just smell like it gives ah, me like allergies. It smells like chemical. Yeah. Oh, like, totally. Sometimes I like, totally get you. Yeah. And my skin will itch sometimes. sometimes and, I'm, and I'm like, why? Right. Like, why? Like, why do they do this? Why are we doing this? Yeah, why are we putting flower pictures on the detergent bottles thinking it's flour? No, it's made of garbage. Why are we putting this in our body? That's so crazy. Hey guys, let's take a real quick break so I can hopefully get you paid. So as a small business owner, I know I personally forget to send out or follow up on invoices all the time. And I bet you, if you, especially if you're traveling a lot, you might too. And the problem with that is we are leaving money on the table by either completely forgetting about people who owe us money or haven't paid their invoices on time. So whether you're a freelancer, you're a small business owner, or you just need to collect money, if you are bad with numbers or with following up, you'll definitely want to check out the all-new FreshBooks, the cloud accounting software. So my favorite feature is probably their automated late payment reminders. What that does is it allows FreshBooks to help you avoid that awkward talk or that conversation with the client, even that awkward email about past due reminders. So FreshBooks automates the late payment email reminders so you can spend less time chasing payments or having awkward conversations and more time working your magic and actually getting things done. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com travel and enter travel like a boss in the how did you hear about us section. Okay, so you 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 remember this idea of the soap berries? Actually, what is the name of it in Chinese, by the way? Uh, Wu I'll definitely. Wu so the the literal, yeah, check it out. The literal meaning is Wu means the 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 absence of. So and Huan means crisis, means suffering. So Wu means literal means the berry of zero suffering. <laughs> wow. It's like a very I mean, it sounds kind of weird, but it's actually written in a very poetic and Buddhist approach. Yeah, that's really cool. I like, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's, and it's actually been documented in 
a lot of Buddhist literatures as a type of holy fruit. Um, they in in a lot of Buddhist traditions, they actually use the bark uh, and the branches of the tree. Uh, they burn it to kind of scare and steer away these bad spirits. All right. So you were on this great island in Spain called Tenerife. You got this awesome idea. How did you actually get started with the business? Yeah. So at that time, I was at a point where I I was looking for freedom. I was looking for financial freedom. I knew. Uh, I came to realization that the only way to build freedom is to have a secure stream of income that's location independent. I'm I like I said before, like, I have been traveling since like graduating from college, and it's it is kind of hard for me to stay in one place for a long time and seek this you know traditional employment route. And for me, it's okay. What kind of business would be able to get me that? And uh, one clear answer was e-commerce. And this berry creating this tree to tub brand and company just really played well with that. That's cool. So, what like where did you travel to and for how long? And like how did you even like like did you even know what a digital nomad was before this? No, no, I actually I didn't even know about that term until going to Chiang Mai. I guess I had been doing the digital nomad stuff for a long time without knowing that I, I, I was one. <laughs> That's cool. And where did you travel to? I, after college, I explored the pretty much like most countries in Latin America uh, on a backpacking trip. And uh, after that, I lived in Spain for like almost a year and uh, traveled around Europe. Then, yeah, then I moved to Asia, so Taiwan, Thailand, and I traveled uh, to a bunch of places like nearby. That's cool. And were you doing other things online to make money during that time? Uh, so when I was backpacking, uh, I just kind of took the money I, I made from selling my food truck business. And that was plenty to, to travel with. And um, in Spain, I was actually working for a company. Um, I was working for this startup called uh, TicketBiz. It's a StubHub competitor. And they're surprisingly very successful, like as a Spanish company, and uh, they were actually bought out by StopHub for a very large amount of money, very like last year, I think. And so I was working there as a head of product, and yeah, like at that time, I just I, I really realized that okay, I can move around and work for different companies like this, or I could start my own company and have the freedom of just going wherever I want instead of have to seeking employment everywhere I go. And seeking employment is not the easiest thing in a lot of countries, especially if you don't have very specialized skill sets. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really, really good point. But it sounds like you built up a lot of the skill sets, you know, running, running the businesses and then working for other businesses. And that gave you the confidence and the skills definitely. when you started your own. Definitely, definitely. And I think um, this is also another thing in this digital nomad culture that like something I saw as a uh, kind of like a, a, like a red flag. Uh, I feel like nowadays people are so, I, I love that people are thinking beyond the traditional path and they have the courage, you know, go travel to a different country and station there and try to make it there. But at the same time, I also feel like a lot of people are not prepared to do that skill set wise. 
a lot of people they kind of go onto these Facebook like funnels that that tell you, oh hey, you know, do my you know ten day course, and then you'll just be able to make millions wherever you want. The thing is that is I, I, the reality is not that easy. Like it's not easy to just make millions online and and you know just travel like a boss. You know, it's is you have to put in that hard work. You have to have uh, years of skill set uh, accumulated to be able to do that. Yeah. And I feel, yeah, I feel like it's just people are really rushing into this fat. And I think people should definitely be aware that it's not as easy as they think. And I think the rule of thumb that I gave myself was if you cannot make a killing in your home country where you have all the network, all the environment, all the benefits and advantages, if you cannot make it in your home country, what makes you think you can make it in, let's say, Thailand? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that's a great way you put it where it's definitely possible and it's definitely worth it, I would say. But just like running any business, you know, whether you're running a food truck business in the US or you're running a an online e-commerce store, it takes like a very similar amount of work. And if you can't, you know, if you're not willing to put in the same amount of investment of time, maybe even money, you know, that you would have creating a food truck, you know, with your online business, so like why why would you think that you can succeed by, you know, putting in less work? Totally. And I I think in most cases, you have to put in more work because imagine like people are coming to the United States, like they're coming to New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Uh, they're coming to these big economies to make money because there are opportunities, there are resources, there's the great environment. And you are doing the exact opposite. You are leaving that environment, going into Chiang Mai, Thailand, where there's no industry and you're trying to make it. And it's totally possible, but one thing you have to remember is that you have to put in more work. You have to put in like more effort than you would have in your home country. Yeah, definitely. Even just dealing with things like time zones or like, you oh, know, totally, man. Like permits or on, you know, just like online banking when you're in another country. Right. Using, having to use like Skype instead of you just calling on your cell phone. Right. Totally. And, and I think especially the network, like it's so easy in a place like New York or San Francisco, you bump into someone and this person is the director of this company that could totally like 180 degree change your business, you know, uh, but it's just so hard in the environment like Chiang Mai or like, you know, any digital nomad hub. And, and it's, it's a very different environment. And, I think that network, people pay a lot for these networks. People really work hard to get into these networks and you are leaving that. And so there's that, you, there's that thing you have to be aware of. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like what I like about Chiang Mai is it's very easy to make fr- other friends who are also just getting started and right. it's easy to network with them. But I think what, what you're talking about is networking with people who, you know, can ha- make a significant impact on your business. Totally. And I think those are the type of network that you should be looking for. Uh, I think it's totally cool to go to a co-working space and everyone share that, you know, uh, reaching the goal mentality and, you know, encouraging each other. I think that's absolutely necessary and you should do that. But at the same time, uh, it's also very important to 
immerse yourself with like people who are at at least at the same level or people are just way ahead of you, you know, so you can just learn and really, you know, just grow as a person and as an entrepreneur. Okay, so those are great tips. So you left your your kind of the the business story at you had this great idea, you got a partner, and then what were the actual steps for you to actually make the product? And then I'm very, very curious how you got it on QVC. Oh, totally. So yeah, so we I I was never I had never I had never had any experience in e commerce or physical product. And for me it was a very a very, very new thing. So we started off, we kind of brainstormed and we, and by the way, my partner is my, uh, my best friend from college. And so we had this, like, we shared this really strong trust and bond that were able to kind of push through all kinds of, you know, stressful times and crisis. But yeah, so we were looking at it as, okay, like, you know, we want in the location independence. So we want to do e-commerce. We want to sell online. Uh, so in, the first thing we were looking at was how can we, first of all, like raise that money to uh, make our first batch of products and how do we put it into market and start selling? And uh, what, like, what we, we eventually came down to is Kickstarter because Kickstarter has this unique ability to give you the cash you need upfront to produce your product and like a group of customers that are going to love you from the first day. Uh, so we said, okay, we're going to go for a Kickstarter. We have a unique concept and we have a very strong network that we can probably pull, pull, uh, pull this through. So we, so we're working on a concept and we started Kickstarter, which eventually raised 40k, uh, which was definitely enough for us to just make our first order. Very cool. And, and was it called, yeah, so treat a tub? And from the start, what was it called? I think you had just called it Soapberry, right? Uh, right. So we called it Soapberry uh, with the I at the end. And that was a very naive and innocent mistake uh, that we made. So if, you're, if you know anything about trademarking, you know that you cannot trademark a generic term, even if you have a different spelling. So you can, for example, you can have a water company that trademarks their name as Wata, like for example, <laughs> like you know. <laughs> and I mean, we, I mean, we didn't know that. Like, we we never trademark anything, right? So we just okay. So Barry sounds cool. Let's go for it. So we printed out like we we made these batches of products, like you know, twenty thousand dollars worth of inventory with the name Soberry. And then we started to okay. Oh, our advisor said we should trademark our stuff. Okay, let's trademark it. And then we just instantly got a rejection. Uh, and yeah, that's how where we started. Okay, we have to find a different name. And then uh, we eventually um, came up with the name Tree to Tub. Okay, wow. That, that's a great lesson for everybody to, le- to, to learn because I wouldn't have known that. Right, right. Trademarking is such a tricky thing. And if you're doing, if you're starting a brand and everything, like you definitely want to look into at least some basic trademarking rules because you don't want to build a brand with a following and eventually you know you can't trademark it and other people can literally just call the same thing as yours and you wouldn't you'd be losing all that brand value okay wow so great tip okay so you raised 40 grand on kickstarter congratulations for that by the way (laughs) thank you and then 
what was the next step? You you manufactured it, and then did you start selling it first, or did you do uh, QVC as like the second big launch? Oh yeah. So uh, after we we did a Kickstarter, um, we're selling on sh- our Shopify store, and we're kind of struggling with it because we weren't we we weren't really hitting the right product market fit. We were selling it as a, the most organic soap versus the soap that's the most gentle and great for sensitive skin. Uh, it took us a lot of time and research to kind of figure that out. And then we finally figured out, okay, our customers love us because our soaps are gentle and good for sensitive skin. And with that angle, uh, we went into Amazon. And that's where we hit our biggest success yet. Uh, we started to see very, very high growth with the right product market fit and uh, business being just growing like uh, very, very well uh, on that platform. And... At the same time, our advisor, uh, the CEO of 100% Pure, also a very big, successful beauty brand. Uh, the CEO is kind of our advisor and friend. He said, hey, you guys should consider QVC, and we can make an intro for you. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's do it. And uh, so, yeah, so we, we, uh, we got connected with the buyers at QVC, and they checked out our stuff, and that video on our website they were instantly excited. So, hey, I want we want you guys on QVC. So we the the whole th- I actually wrote a blog post about the whole behind the scenes, like little details and fun things uh, on my blog. And uh, yeah, if any viewers want to go check it out. But uh, essentially, the story was we went in and we had like a buyers meeting and we presented our products and um, they said, okay, cool, we love your things. And we're gonna take you on a on a trial. So uh, they place like a PO, and it's like a consignment-based PO. So uh, essentially, they they don't own they don't buy your products. They just uh, they just kind of sell your products for you via their channel. And yeah, so we we went uh, with that PO. We went to make our manufacturer the the products we we wanted to sell on QVC, and then. Uh, last month, uh, th- by the way, this, this whole process took about six months wow, before okay. airing. Well, so f- f- first, like a, f- first, uh, what's, your, what's your blog site? Oh, yeah. My blog, the URL is dreamand.live. Dreamand.live. Dream and and dot, dreamand.live. Yeah. Dreamand.live. And dot live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, I think that's the, the hardest uh, website to ever ever pronounce um but we'll put we'll put a link to it in the show notes <laughs> for sure yeah i mean it's like you know the, the concept's like dream and live right it's like you know, we only got you know, one life and i feel like so many people they have this ideal lifestyle they want to live and, and they have all these goals but hardly they ever turn these dreams into goals and into execution and i think this block is a lot about that and also just uh, a lot of my personal learnings uh, from entrepreneurship to traveling to a lot of philosophical spiritual learnings that uh, i'm very passionate about okay i'll definitely check that that out and so i'm, I'm curious like how, when qvc placed this you know this kind of um holding po you have to upfront the cost for that and, and there's no guarantee that they're gonna sell any of them right like how much how much how much Inventory did you have to give them? How much did that cost you? Oof. Uh, the PO cost us about, I say, almost $20,000. Wow. 
And how did you fund that? So yeah, so we had to actually raise a small round of investment uh, back home in San Francisco. So we we raised about like 80k total to fund the entire business uh, squirrels plan, and uh, mostly that was from our existing like old network, and and that that kind of goes back to what we we're talking about before. It's like you know, all like these networks are so important to grow your business. You know, even you have, it, it doesn't matter if you, you want to grow into a million dollar business or you want to grow as a freelancer, you know, all these networks are just so important back home that you really want to take advantage of that. That's cool. And like when you were doing all this, were you still traveling or were you back, back in the U.S.? Yeah, we were traveling. Uh, so we were in Puerto Rico first and then Taiwan and Thailand. So we're still traveling, but we're just flying in and out. Every three months, we go back to the United States and to do some meetings, business, uh, meeting with our advisors and such. I think that's so cool. And I think that was a huge reason why I wanted to have you on the show is, you know, traveling as a digital nomad, you know, working on, you know, online, you know, wherever you are, and then still building a, like a big brand at a big company. Ah, uh, thanks, man. I think that's, um, I, we're just so lucky to be able to do that because just, I think being in San Francisco, uh, I th- you, you are fully aware of that. It just, it's really like they really train you to think on a bigger scale and just, you don't want to just create something and invest a lot of time into something that sells, you know, a dollar, a thousand dollars a month. You know, you want to build on it. It doesn't have matter how fast you grow it, but you want to eventually grow an asset that eventually bring you a lot of financial value. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. And actually, speaking of value, I think one of the the best things that that you guys did was, as you mentioned earlier, instead of just listing the the features of the of the soap, you know, calling it organic, you, you started marketing it, marketing the benefits, you know, having it be nature's, gen, you know, most gentle soap. Right. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, it was such a hard lesson for us because uh, we kind of going into this business, just assuming, you know, making these assumptions that, oh, like, this is obviously an organic thing and, like, you know, people pay a lot for it. And it just so... It was very naive to think that you understand your product and to think that you understand your customers. I think that's the biggest lesson that I have learned in this specific business is product market fit. It's like never to assume anything about your product and your customers. It's to really, you have to go and interview your customers one by one. And that's what we did because at the end of uh, uh, 2016, we were running out of money and we were struggling we're really thinking okay should we just stop this business and go back and get a job right and we're okay no we have to do our one last thing like we have to understand our customers that's when we really we went we flew back to san francisco uh we we scheduled a bunch of chats phone calls and in-person meetings with our customers and we took our notebook and really asked them the questions like okay why are you buying our soap why why do you care why are you spending 28 dollars like you know, like ridiculous prices on, on natural soap. Like, what do you really care about? And that's when we understood our customers cared, not, didn't care about how organic they were. They just cared about, oh, this is just the only soap that works on my sense of skin, my psoriasis, my eczema, 
uh, all these skin problems that I used to have when I was a child, right? And it just, everything just clicked at that point because people don't really pay that much for being natural. They pay a lot for the benefits your product is helping them. You know, the, the, the problems your products are solving. So I think that was just like a huge thing, like, you know, like a, like, like a breakthrough that we had. And because of that, we're able to kind of uh, succeed on Amazon and all these channels. I like that a lot. I, I think the other thing that I thought was really cool is when you guys included the actual berries with, with some of the orders. Are you guys still doing that? Yeah. So every order, we include at least a berry. So you can uh, experience it yourself. You can just see how nature so feels like, you know, instead of just this bottle that we sent you. And you can really, through this berry, connect with nature and with our products and what we believe in. Yeah, I think and that's really cool. So people can tell is like, because there's so many, you know, let's say uh, soaps or shampoos that have a picture of a coconut on there, but you look in the back, there's <laughs> no actual coconut oil in there. There's no <laughs> right, and it drives me nuts. And the fact that you guys actually include the berry, and then I'm assuming you know people can use can use that berry and then lather it up and be like, oh, I can see how this works. Totally, totally, it's really that connection that we're uh, letting people build, and. And that berry can actually use as a face wash, you know, for like five times, or even you can throw into it if you have a little bag and throw it into a laundry, you can use it for five times. I mean, you probably want like more than one berries, but they are functional. They literally works. Yeah, that's cool. And I guess the reason why people don't just buy the berries, but they they buy the actual the bottles is you know. It's, I, I, I guess it's just more convenient. Totally, totally. Yeah, like it's hard to in this like busy life you know like modern life is kind of hard to just like ladder with berry and shower you know every day it's it, that would be pretty tough to do well i i think it's super cool and i i love i love the, your story and also the fact that you're able to do this while traveling and i think it's a really big inspiration for everyone listening right now whether they're already traveling and you know thinking about you know what kind of business to build but also the people who are still back home and, you know, are thinking, oh, I would love to travel, but, you know, maybe I should climb the corporate ladder or get a real job. This is a, a really inspirational goal. Hey, thanks, Johnny. Like, that means a lot to me. Yeah. So I can't wait to try out your product. If you guys want to try it out at home, just go to tree2tub.com. Check out some of their products. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll catch, I'll catch you somewhere in the world, Michael. Definitely. And, uh, Johnny, I'm just going to throw in one last thing. Uh, I'm not sure when the listeners are going to receive the the podcast, but we're actually running this really cool promotion uh, right now, which is uh, we're doing this subscription thing where uh, for $29, you get two products, which is each product usually costs about $28. So it's like you're you're paying for a price of one, but getting two products plus a little bag of soap berries delivered to you automatically. And at the same time, on your first order, we're going to give you a free facial cleanser that costs normally $34. So it's just like this incredible, the biggest deal that we're running. And it's, it's, it's like a really awesome thing that I tell all my friends to sign up for. And yeah, so if your viewers are interested, uh, definitely go check, see if it's still available. Yeah, it looks like a, like a great deal. Uh, is this only open to Americans or do you guys ship internationally? Americans and international, uh, but international customers, they have to pay more on shipping. 
because of the international shipping. Okay, very cool. But but like, let's say someone just wanted to order a bottle, they, they can get it worldwide. Totally, totally. Okay. Well, really cool. Uh, and is, is there anywhere else people can reach you? Do you hang out on Twitter or? Uh, not 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 so much. Uh, but yeah, uh, I would be documenting more and more of my stories and. Uh, a lot of these like crazy little fun things along this journey on my blog. Uh, it's called again like Dream and Live, Dream and Dot Live. I actually just started this blog a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, I'm very excited about it. And just you know, uh, I think you have a lot of fun reading it. Very cool. I'll definitely check it out. We definitely have to find you a different URL, maybe a .dot com <laughs> instead <laughs> sure. of a .dot live. Yeah. But uh, right. congrats again, and hopefully we'll. Catch you somewhere in the world soon. Hey, for sure. I'm pretty sure we'll see each other like, either in San Francisco or whatever country we're in. All right, cool. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.